Hey everyone, a quick introduction before we get into the episode. In case you haven't heard, Forefront Festival 2022 is coming up on Saturday, February 19th at Browncroft Church in Rochester, New York. Over the past couple of years, we've done a virtual event and some smaller get-togethers, but we haven't had a festival-style event since 2019. We're so excited to be back. This event is for anyone who loves music, movies, poetry, visual art, or any other creative medium and, and wants those things to glorify God. We have some incredible artists featured this time around. Dr. David Kim, CEO of Goldenwood in New York City, will keynote the event, talking about making art that leads us from darkness to light. Josh Thiessen, an internationally renowned painter, will be displaying work and running a breakout. Joy Ike, one of my favorite Christian singer-songwriters, will be performing at the end. We're also going to have a special opening performance by Timothy Levin, who you're about to hear from in this episode. Enjoy the show, and we hope to see you at Forefront Festival 2022. You can get your ticket today at ForefrontFestival.com. A verse on every two-by-four Reminded Tom and Becky the house they'd built was not their own to claim But when friends or strangers stepped across Their hallowed hardwood entry They'd take a breath, look about and say mm, Isn't this a pleasant place? Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront. We have a very special guest with us today, singer-songwriter Timothy Levin. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. Absolutely. So Tim just recently joined us for our Christmas variety show that we did in December 2021. So if you haven't yet, I'd recommend uh, listening to the Act 2 episode where he closes out the show with some beautiful songs. But just a little bit about Timothy. Uh, he's a New Hampshire-born singer-songwriter-producer. Musically, he takes after the acoustic folk greats like John Foreman, Nickel Creek, Keith and Kristen Getty, and Andrew Peterson, creating music that's honest, kind, and beautiful. His work blends stories and melodies into unique snapshots of a world both intricate and expansive. Also, a diehard DIYer, Tim's an amateur woodworker and a watercolorist part-time baker, hiker, and watcher of sunsets. So let me first ask, your, your artist name is Timothy Levin, and you also like to mm -hmm. bake. So coincidence? Mm -hmm. Tell us how uh, Levin came into the picture. Yeah. Um, my original name, my actual legal name is Tim Murray or Timothy Murray. Um, I usually get called Timothy either when I'm in trouble with my mom or I'm performing. So um, <laughs> uh, Tim is usually what I go by day to day. But um, when I was trying to think about um, actually sharing music um, in more of the typical places where music gets consumed, Spotify, et cetera, or even on other typical social media platforms, there were a billion and one Tim Murray's already there. Um, so I was right. like, hmm, uh, you're going to scroll for quite a bit um, before you find me possibly. So I need something that works a little better. I think that's what was like, I think I need something different. But um, I, I, would, I have a hard time trying to remember how, when exactly the word leaven came into mind. I knew I wanted maybe something to sort of 
tip the hat to other interests I have in, um, I was doing a term abroad in Scotland three years ago and was just kind of, I got curious and then I was ambushed by an obsession with baking bread, <laughs> um, which is its own story. Um, but I was like, okay, well, you know, leaven kind of has a ring to it and Timothy Le- Okay. I kind of like the way that that sounds on the tongue, Feels right. but, um, yeah, the, but the other reason, the third reason, the, the most spiritual sounding reason is that, um, one of the parables that Jesus talks about in one of the gospels is the kingdom of God being like leaven, the yeast mm-hmm. that's hidden, um, in a massive amount of dough flour. And, uh, until the dough is where is fully leavened mm-hmm. and having watched lots of dough ferment for a little while you can't see the yeast actually working but you can see the effects of it and um Mm -hmm. the picture jesus is giving of the kingdom being something where you might not see where the work the kingdom work is happening but you you can see the effects of it in the, the place that it's happening and that was a real encouragement to me um especially uh entering my 20s entering university and thinking about decisions of work and vocation and what would be good to give my time to wanting to matter and wanting to leave a legacy, but dreading the thought of obscurity and potentially Mm -hmm. being put in a spot where no one's going to see or remember what I say or do. And Levin in that image of, yeah, it is, it could be obscure, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, because um, it's accomplishing that it needs to in the Lord. So um, as an encouragement to myself to carry it with it, um, leaven is a nice way to do that. So Timothy leaven, that's what I stuck with. Bread, kingdom, searchability. I love it. So you mentioned going to university. So Mm -hmm. where where are you studying? What are you pursuing? What's what's the balance between that and your music? Oh, I've been asking that for five years. Um, <laughs> I, I actually just, oof, I just, uh, last week, a week and a half ago, I just finished grad school. I did my, uh, I go to the university, have gone to the University of New Hampshire to study civil engineering. I got my bachelor's there and then I just stayed on to get my uh, master's degree there. Still same department, just a little bit more focused on the structural side of civil because it's a big field. Right. And I've, I want to build my own house. That's like the reason back when I was a middle teen and I'm like, yes, if there's anything in university that has something to do with an interest of mine, I guess I would do civil because it's not a bad credential to have, I guess. And sure. Structural people are involved with the building of things in some form or fashion. So, um, the, the I, I'm not going to call it a love hate relationship between music and study because it really I love I love writing and uh, it's a strange academia is a strange world for people who have very strong interests that seem like they're on disparate parts of the work world. Um, so I, I, I enjoy things where there's a way that they work and you can, um, you can do the math to get to a physical answer or, or what you believe is a good solution. Um, and even yeah. with, even with bread, you see there's a way yeast is affected by temperature and moisture and you can dial these things in and you can get something that's consistent and reliable. Um, and you just, now you're talking about concrete or steel or timber. It's a, a lot of that crossover. Um, 
I like that side, but I also really enjoy telling stories and taking raw materials, a lot of hands-on things. I took a class in woodworking completely on a whim mm -hmm. um, uh, early in university and loved it. I loved getting to go in and just get covered in sawdust, something that was completely <laughs> out of my head and it was outside of me and I could touch it and smell it. And um, it was real in the, right now. I can see it yeah. happening. In, in, and so it was good to have both because you've got, goodness knows, you're, you're accumulating a body of knowledge that will it pays off at different times but you really don't see the physical reward of it even if you what pass an exam mm -hmm. you, you don't have something that you walk away with you just walk away with a number and the next bit of workload that you take but at least with building a table or having a loaf of bread or writing a song i'm like ah something i did it um and with in, in the same thing with music um with the added thing so it, it kind of got the other side of there is even a way I, I find that songwriting works and we'll talk about this more I'm sure um, but it's also a it's I, I need to be able to to journal or write and especially song just to help me think mm -hmm. um, not necessarily as a place of catharsis that's fine but um, but just as uh, as a way to sort of um, like ooh, George Orwell in the book Animal Farm he talks about the cows hadn't been milked for a while once they got rid of the humans but once they milked the cows they were feeling good and sometimes the brain can kind of feel like there's just a lot there mm -hmm. and so song and journaling were ways to sort of take that and at least set it in front of me so I'm like ah that's what's going on um and it was a good way to toggle away from perhaps what may have been a bit more cerebral and really um maybe brutally linear in one yes. sense um so, uh, they, and they happen alongside each other. I, there are many times where I'm studying for an exam and an idea for a song will be like tickling at the back of my mind. And I'm like, no, go away. I need to study. I need to sleep, whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. And sometimes I would say, no, it's not the time I'll, I'll, I'll take mm -hmm. care of you in a week idea. But other times I would say, no, I think I'm going to sit down and do this. And this is important too. Yes. This is also yeah. important too. And it actually was part of like, I'm exhausted, but doing that, being able to write, say with music was actually a, a thing of rest for me. It wasn't an extra bit of work in that right. time. So it was a gift to me alongside my studies um, for that, what, five and a half years. So, yeah. No, that's great. Well, I definitely want to pick up on that. Uh, just, just that thread of, you know, trying, trying to do and to be more than just one thing. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I think, I think it's, it's cool how you have a lot of different interests that end up kind of intersecting with one another, but feel like they're from different places. So I want to pick yeah. up on that later. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But for now I want to get to, to our first segment of the show. Now that you all know a little bit about Timothy, who he is. Uh, now we, we come to the lightning round. And so, Tim, I'm going to give you... I have a... been looking forward to this for three months, Nate. I'm so excited. <laughs> See, that's, that's the great part about when a listener comes on the show. Uh, so, <laughs> so the lightning round, I'll ask you a series of short questions. You know how this works. You can answer with the first thing that comes to mind. So, Tim, what is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? That is a good question. Um, the Isle of Skye up in Scotland was... Yes. Um, that's a good contender for first somewhere either Isle of Skye or I was up in a little fishing village called Ullapool in the northeast part of Scotland. And we stayed in the hostel right on the waterfront. Um, and we got there under cover of dark. But when we woke up in the morning, the sun is rising due east, like right in front of us in the hostel. So it was like, oh, um, happily go back there. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with the Isle yeah. of Skye. I've been there myself and it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, just truly, truly out of a fairy tale. 
um, li- literally has a place called Fairy Glen. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was hard to say goodbye to. I went to the Fairy Glen actually, yes. um, but it was one of those like there there will be places like the Isle of Skye and the New Heavens and Earth. It's okay, you can say goodbye. It's yes, yeah, it's gonna be even better. Yeah. So, all right, next question. Your bio mentions several musicians that you're similar to stylistically. So John Foreman, Nickel Creek, mm-hmm. the Gettys, and Andrew Peterson. Yeah. Who are a couple other yeah. musical influences that you have? Let's see. I grew up listening to a lot of Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael Card. Yeah. Um, so aside from John Foreman, Andrew Peterson, Keith and Kristen Getty, and Nickel Creek, um, U2 was one that um, I came across. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, I didn't grow up listening to a ton of rock and roll. And uh, I think my dad had a, a best of U2 record that had um, In the Name of Love and Sunday Bloody Sunday, like a lot of those ones that it, I, I don't remember when I first heard it. Maybe I was 14 or 15. It blew my mind, the, yeah. a voice like Bono's and the way um, guitars were used in it with so much energy. Um, but also the songs, my goodness, there is no lack of substance in any of them. And I'm still wondering what some of them are about right now, but, um, <laughs> but that was intriguing to me. So, I mean, you too has had a tremendous influence on a lot of people, including Switchfoot and others, but yeah. Um, but that was cool. Um, it's something I've really Bono, I think has weighed in pretty well on the conversation around um, art and what does it look like to mm-hmm. make stuff with integrity and probably even more than talking about it, just doing it pretty well. Um, right. Jess Ray is another singer songwriter that I've appreciated. She's yeah. um, I think she's based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, someone who isn't doing uh, the typical um, you know, running around the gigs, trying to most she, her, a lot of her aims are smaller. She's, she's done a really good job of um, slowly over time, gathering, a, a gathering patrons to her, her work folks. So she doesn't need an arena full of people to right. either have meaningful work or to um, have a sustainable um, business model. Um, so I appreciate the personableness of how she's carrying out. Uh, even uh, she's, decided she's pretty much just gotten rid of Instagram, which is like for young artists, it seems like that's suicide to get rid of Instagram. Cause yes. like that's, that's your exposure, but that's because she's um, really wanting to lean into the relationships that she has with her patrons, the people who are actually helping her do the work. So as someone, if you ask me, Tim, is there anybody who's doing work in a way that you might like to, I would say mm, Jess is a good example of that um, yes. both in sound and in approach to it. That's great. Okay, what musician or singer-songwriter do you listen to most often? Mm, I have been listening to, I've been listening to a lot of instrumental, like very gentle instrumental music. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, an artist called uh, well, Eric O. Young, but his, uh, his Future of Forestry, which is one band he has, but he also has a, right. a, another moniker called Somniscape, which is, it's, I think it's just four EPs of really, beautiful soundscapes um varied not um, nothing redundant or sentimental um between somniscape and an artist with a i don't know a similar sort of genre um called carinthia c-a-r-i-n-t-h-i-a carinthia Mm. um again who has one or two records but one in particular that they um he uses a lot of texture sounds like walking through grass or leaves or branches swishing and uh, in, in the midst of the piano and guitar, just to kind of add percussive effects. Right. Um, yeah. Andrew Osenga has an album called The Painted Desert, which I think that was like my top album of 2020. So um, 
Osenga, Somniscape, Corinthia. I think those guys have been on repeat for quite a while now. Oh, that's great. What is a music artist that you've seen perform live where you found the live performance to be particularly impressive or impactful compared to their recorded music? Oh, that's a good question. I saw Jess Ray um, with my brother last June, I think. She was down at Gordon Conwell Seminary Mm -hmm. on like the back lawn of one of their buildings. And it was really cool seeing her and her husband, Kyle, just the two of them uh, playing. And I, I, I really dug their their particular setup with their staging and, and such, but different question. Um, I, I, I love it when I get to hear the stories actually shared and them playing stuff live, even if there's a quirk or two in how they do things. Um, yeah. Goodness, the personal nature of it is just, it's really, really hard to beat. So, it is. Yep. Just comes through. Cool. Has there been a movie adaptation of a book that you loved that you felt really captured the spirit of the book? And if so, what is it? <laughs> I, uh, oof, I really, I, I liked the book Charlotte's web, uh, mm-hmm. when I was a smaller lad, like 10 or 11. And when they did a film adaptation, I forget her name, Dakota something. Yeah. Live action rendition. I was really happy with how that adaptation yeah. went of Charlotte's web. That was quite good. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I read the Lord of the Rings for the first time and, uh, last year, the whole thing. And then I rewatched the movies and it's been interesting. Thank you very much. It was like climbing Mount Everest, but it was a delicious climb because they're good books. It was like climbing Mount Um, something. (laughs) Mount Mount, Doom. Yeah. Mount Tolkien or something like that. Literally. Not really. No, that's not that. It's like getting to Rivendell. It's a good thing at the end. Um, yeah. And, and, um, I think I appreciate the world building that they did. Um, you could say a bit about the depiction of nobility and chivalry in, in the Lord of the Rings or the movies versus the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but aesthetically, my goodness, I don't yes. think there was really much lacking at all in the yeah. Lord of the Rings movies. Um, the, oh, oh, and um, Little Women, the most recent uh, screen adaptation with uh, Timothy Chalmlet and uh, the rest of those star-studded people. Yes. Uh, I think I, I went to that thing on a whim in the theater all by myself, and I must have cried at least three times watching that movie for a number of reasons. But um, but that one was also really good. I Yeah, yeah. So what is a movie adaptation that failed to capture the spirit of a book you oh. loved? Oof, this is a sore subject even amongst my siblings. <laughs> um, there's a, a, a series of books called The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Paolini. The first book is called Aragon. Uh, and yes. um, I think the same studio that made The Last Airbender, uh, <laughs> which is also not a very good movie by M. Night Shyamalan, they All also right. made the, tried to do a screen adaptation of Aragon, and it was terrible. Yeah, like, terrible. Good. They couldn't. They didn't get the appearance of the bad guys right. Oh my gosh. They just, I'm like, why are you messing with this? It's so easy. Like, it's clear this elven girl, her hair is black and you've made her red hair. Like, what are you doing? So I was, it was befuddling to all of us. And we still have like sworn it out of vocabulary, except for when we're recording podcasts. So yeah. um, <laughs> I'm still salty about that, but it's okay. Okay. So on to visual art. If you could put mm-hmm. one piece of original visual art in your home, regardless of its current location, price, or availability, yeah. what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. 
I don't, and I don't, I, I'm not a, a, I consume more poetry than I do visual art, mm-hmm. but I like the snapshots of what I see Mako Fujimura um, doing. Yes. Like he'll just share photos of stuff in his studio. Mm-hmm. So as a, I don't know, as a broad answer, I would say probably anything by him. I would <laughs> yes. happily find, I, I will find some wall um, or I'll turn it into a wall in order to hang it up um, in my house. Yes, absolutely. Love, love Mako's yeah. work. Okay, yeah. who are one or two of your favorite authors who are writing today? <laughs> um, we mentioned Andrew Peterson as mm-hmm. a music influence. I'm currently, uh, oh my goodness, I'm about to start the fourth book of the Wingfeather Saga. Yes. And I was, I was not sure how to feel about it before I started reading it because I have two friends who are both fiction authors uh, who are both either you know, a mother or a grandmother. And they're like, eh, it didn't really do it for me. And I'm like, what? two people I respect the most and you guys don't care for it. But yeah. um, because I'm, I'm, I'm on the, in, in the rapid room, like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread clearly. So yeah. I was befuddled as you can imagine. So when my youngest brother started reading the wing for the books and he couldn't put them down, he kept me awake many nights um, reading late into the uh, wee hours of the morning. But, and I, I still, I wasn't sold until um, my girlfriend sent me a photo of her, uh, just of the book in her lap with a bookmark that I had m- made to give to her. And she just said, Hey, thanks so much for this bookmark. Um, really appreciating it. I'm reading the wing Feather saga right now. I don't think she was trying to recommend anything, but I was like, ah, cause she wasn't my girlfriend at the time. So I was like, aha, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to read this series. And I have not laughed or wept so much or been so glued to a series as I have with this one in at least a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, I mean, I love the Lord of the Rings, but it's like, okay, let's, let's do another chapter. Like just, you know, buckle everything together. It's going to be a journey, but, um, wing feather, it's a tinge lighter. The chapters are much shorter. Um, and, um, but it's really been a gift. I think that it is that kind of story and it's still a really, really good one. So, yes. um, uh, AP is coming through once again. Um, what I'm, I'm also enjoying, um, Malcolm Geit. He has a, a book called waiting on the word which is a mini anthology of poems from a number of poets, including himself um, and his work and his thoughts on, on those poems he includes, they're not a devotional, but it is a, he's offering poetry to accompany folks on their Advent journey. And um, it was a gift to me last year when I, I started reading it and um, I've been going through it again this year. So I really appreciate someone to very thoughtfully can bring together people's meditations on the things that can pertain to Advent, even if they're not mm-hmm. explicitly about it. Um to sort of be a, a friend for the journey. So yeah, right. Peterson and Geit, they're good right now. Yeah, Malcolm Geit is amazing. Okay, we mentioned yeah. the Wingfeather saga. So Sauron, mm-hmm. Voldemort, and Nag the Nameless <laughs> find themselves in the same universe. <laughs> they, they all want to rule the world, so they find themselves at odds. Which one comes out on top? <laughs> oh my gosh, what the heck? <laughs> This is an important um, question. That's a really important question, dude. I've been <laughs> lying awake at night wondering about this. Like it might just happen. And um, uh, I, uh, oof. I, I, something in me tells thinks that Sauron would probably win. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Voldemort, he's got a lot going for him. And I, I don't know. I, maybe after I read book four of Wingfeather, I would change my mind about Nag. But I think Sauron did some pretty, pretty. I also haven't read the Silmarillion. So I, I don't know if I have the. Uh, grounds to say this, but just my gut tells me Sauron would win. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean Voldemort couldn't do much against a few school children. So I know um, without a without a nose, you know, you yeah. can't do much. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, I I agree with that answer. All right, you mm. say in your bio, and you talked a little bit about how you're a part-time baker. So, what is something you baked mm-hmm. that you're particularly proud of? When I was still in university, I had a part-time my a baking side hustle called the Pin and Roller Bread Company, which is is a tip of the hat to my engineering side of things. Nice. But um, uh, I would when I once I kind of got onto sourdough bread and natural ferment like using wild yeast and and like oh I I literally only need flour water and salt and the rest of the yeast just kind of it's there in the flour mm-hmm. fantastic oh, let me understand that and people kind of talked about it like it was the snowboarding of the bread baking world like you know I did skiing for a while and it was fine but then I tried snowboarding I've never looked back and then they're like well I, I did normal baking for a while but then I discovered sourdough and I've never looked back and, yes uh so i was like oh well if it's so good let me give it a shot and it was fun it takes a little bit longer but it was kind of a neat dance in between uh your your room temperature and the water and the question for me kind of very quickly became okay can i do one thing really well at a high higher volume i mean can i do 80 loaves at a time and have them all come out with the same size same consistency and so i was pretty and, and I, I was able to pull that off i did a lot of farmers markets at unh at that time and um Amazing. looking around a lot of uh, fermenting dough into my classes like i just show up to my calculus class like plop down my little tub of dough and then just like step out and fold it and then go back into class and you know finish lecture um as one does and uh yep. and i think the next thing for me for the forthcoming year is to just try a little more variety and actually like try things i now don't know which would be great so, right because then right. i probably will be interested again Bake to the Lord a new bread. Yes, yes. Okay, final lightning round Amen. question. What was your hardest song to write? Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's a really good question. Um, hardest song. I think the song that took me the longest to write was a song called I Find Rest, which mm-hmm. is on an EP that I released um, early last year yeah. um, called Shalom. But uh, the lyrics were given to me by a friend middle of high school. Her dad actually wrote the the bulk of the the, the, the verses that she, she handed me. She's like, hey, uh, this is for you. I do whatever you want with it. Um, my dad and I wrote it. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Like no one's ever handed me almost fully formed lyrics before. And uh, <laughs> tried, I don't know, for some reason to rewrite it, but I didn't know what I was trying to rewrite it into. I was like, ah. so I, eventually after maybe a month or two, I just got frustrated and, and let it sit. And then it must have been like three or four years later, once I was in my freshman year of university, I I had a friend who uh, got some hard news about um, some family. And so, but I'm, I'm back in my own dorm room and this song just floats back into my mind being like, Oh, that song, I never finished it. And so I, I think I, I found the clipboard that had that piece of paper because I don't ever throw anything away. And uh, uh, I, I kind of, I don't, I don't think a song has to take five minutes in order for it to be good. It's, it can take a long time and be really good, but the, what mostly ended up as the final version of that song, it was like, maybe in 15 to 20 minutes, I kind of had at least the bones of what became the last two verses. And then the chorus Mm -hmm. um, of that song. Um, And then I went on to revise it and tighten it up. And I think right before I recorded the song to go on the record, I still revised um, one or two lines to just um, get them squared. But that was just technically 
probably the hardest. Well, let me, as we kind of go to the main interview portion, I was going to ask you about that anyway. Mm-hmm. So let's go there. Um, talk a little bit about your process of song revision. Um, I know that mm-hmm. you know, th- this is something that you've, you've done a lot. You, even some of the songs you played uh, at the house concert that I was at, um, you said that you'd, you'd revised over time and that sort of thing. So do you ever play a song mm-hmm. live maybe several times before realizing it needs to change? Uh, what, what does that look like for you? Hmm. That, that's a good question. I think uh, with revision, I, back when I was still maybe only three or four years into trying to write songs, I didn't really, I, I don't, I'm not in Nashville, so I'm not around a ton of other people who are actively doing it. So I didn't have much context for folks to say like, this is what it looks like to write a good song. But um, I found some seminars about that, about revision. And they said, look, um, most good songs aren't rewritten, they're rewritten. Mm. So just the notion that that's, that's actually the norm and a really good thing was like, oh, courage. Like, let's, okay, fine. Let's roll up the sleeves and, and go at it. And then, you know, we learn, trying to learn how to, how to revise well and how can I, how do I know that I'm a good enough critic of my work? Can I trust myself? Do I need to still get feedback from people. Um, that's still an ongoing thing. Um, and I'm still blindsided sometimes when I'm like, yeah, I think this is pretty much good. And I sent it to a friend and they have a bunch of like music theory critique on it. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the world are you actually you're right? You know, and I, I, I repent and, and change my ways. Yes. Um, but I usually with, when it comes to lyrics, it's really, well, like if you go on YouTube, at least maybe I haven't done the right search term, but it's pretty easy to find people who'll be like, here's this version of the mix. And then we revised it and here's the next version of the mix. And you can see, you can hear the differences in the arrangement and the instrumentation. And maybe the lyrics change along the way, but it's really hard to find folks. I don't even know if I found many who will say, Hey, this is what my lyrics look like. And now they look different. And this is why I made these changes to these words and um, to, to what I've ended up with now. And this is why I'm going to say this song is done. Right. Um, so to me, it's really important, uh, I guess for my own sake, I, I, my junior year of high school, my aunt Sue, who, uh, was also my English teacher. She, we did a, a semester of creative writing and we would do a, just a 10 minute free write. And the principle was just outrun the inner critic It's just keep, mm-hmm. don't, if you don't know what to say, just say, um, 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 or just, you can put in gibberish if you want to, but don't start to be like, ah, I've got to just got to find the right word. Keep going and get used to your, my, your brain will just know how to toggle more and more as you build that habit. So, um, that when I tend to sit down and even revise and I'm, I have one line that just won't fit. Um, usually I'll slip into free writing mode and I'll just start to on this. I usually write out my lyrics and I only type them out when I'm, I'm really just fine tuning things. If I'm just in the conception phase and even farther along, it's all still on paper. So I'm just going at it with a pen and I'll line stuff out or anything, but I, I'm not like attempted to backspace anything. It's all still there. I can watch. I usually use like blank, blank eight and a half by 11 papers and cause I don't like lines and I'll usually turn it a funky way so that my brain isn't like, well, it's got to go top right, left to right and top down. It can kind of just splatter onto yes. the page and then, okay, maybe the page gets kind of full and I'm like, well, I like that line. Let me move that to a different page and I'll work on that a little bit more. And then, okay, that's a good verse and let me add a bit. Okay, now next page. And maybe, I don't know, I don't even know what, what an average is. Maybe I end up with eight or 10 pages of paper uh, before I'm like, okay, this is, I can type this up now. I think this is good. Um, sometimes it's less, but that's what revision tends to look like generally is just 
outrun the inner critic and don't be scared of ink and crossings out and such. You can always, always do a save as and um, keep going. So right. don't get married to like, but, but if I, if I, if, <laughs> if not this, what could possibly be out there? And it's like, if you're uncomfortable with it, don't use it. Like yeah. whatever, take a break, lie down, leave it for a year. If you have that luxury, it's okay to do that too. That's great. I found that with uh, making videos as well. Video production is my, my day job. And, you know, as, as you're editing a video, there's always that one thing that kind of bugs me. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's probably not, mm -hmm. that's probably not good. I think somebody's probably going to bring that up. And like, if, if I just kind of mm -hmm. let it be there, then it, it's always going to bug me or somebody's yeah. going to bring it up. Be like, yeah, I know yeah. about that. So yeah. it's like, I, when, when there's yeah. that thing in the back of my right. mind, I'm just well, like, got to address it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 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 If it's like, if it's that thing I'm tempted to like apologize for when yeah. I'm playing it, if like, if I legitimately have to point something out, I'm like, it shouldn't be there. You shouldn't yep. have to apologize for it. Like, yeah. yeah, if you can't stand by it, something else is going to happen. So you mentioned to me yeah. previously um, how you really value transparency in the lyric writing process. And uh, I remember I actually saw on your uh -huh. in Instagram, you were showing um, using a piece of paper sideways and that kind of thing, like you were just talking about here. Um, so talk a little bit about that, you know, letting people come along for that ride of writing mm -hmm. lyrics. Um, why, why do you think that transparency yeah. is important? I'm really like, it makes me really happy or maybe relieved is the right word. Um, encouraged when I see folks are happy to show the on-ramp to, yeah. to something that they were doing, whether it was like the on-ramp of a project or even of a skill, like to go to a concert where there's really good violinists, but maybe they still make mistakes or when there's like, there's ones who are still learning. So you can kind of see like, Oh, I, I can see where maybe there's the, the I can see those techniques where that get sharpened and overall. Um, and, um, but unfortunately with a lot of, I don't know, I had a friend who's a, she's a fiction author. She was talking about a lot of movies about writers, I think in general, are mostly for people who don't write, who like <laughs> will never write a book or who will never write a song. Because usually people who do write or who have written, that we're like, that's not how it works. Like we're not all Elton John or Freddie Mercury. And even then, like, I don't think we would want to create the way that it is depicted of them creating. Mm -hmm. um, or in, in, unfortunately, even Christian filmmakers who make like those biopics of like, I can only imagine or... Uh, what was another one? I still believe it's like you know, Christian or non, these characters, they go through some gut wrenching issues and even, you know, terrible suffering perhaps. And then, but the song, the song that makes their career, that's like the breakthrough <laughs> thing. It just happens, you know, just like, boom, it was always there or, you know, um, no revision needed. Um, and instantly it's like arenas full of people and mm -hmm. uh, magnificence off the bat. And, um, I think the reason I really appreciated the Little Women screen adaptation was the depiction of Jo March. She's at, uh, wanting to be an author, but she's given some heart. She she has a draft of a work. Um, she shows it to a, a, a man who lives in the same apartment complex as her. And he's a professor, I think. And he says, like, maybe he says some encouraging things, but he gives her some good, hard critique. And she's really hurt by it at first, but it makes her better. And then we watch her in late into the, the nights with all of her candles, revising all of her work and laying it out on the floor. And I was like, that's what revision looks like for mm -hmm. someone who actually realizes, oh, I'm not there. I need to learn and has to put in the good work of developing the craft. So um, because if I can't see the on-ramp, I'm like, oh, goodness, I have no shot at doing that. But um, yes. uh, and maybe there's some things that I could have a shot at, but I'm just not curious. But 
with something like music when someone's willing to be like, yeah, here's my demo. And it sounds like, oh, I, oh, interesting. Like you just, you decided to write something or, and maybe you didn't even stick with it. Um, even that alone might be enough to be like, oh, well, if it's that simple at the beginning, well, let me give a shot. And um, I, I can't speak for everyone or think that I'm going to save the world through my own individual transparency, but it is something where I think, I don't know how many kids even in like churches, because I think um, some, the, some of the backstories behind maybe worship songs, I don't know, a lot of them are in like the nineties, like open the eyes up by heart, same sort of thing. Like, yeah, this song was just came out in worship, man. And here it is. And of course it's like, you know, we all know it pretty much if you grew up in a particular kind of church. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a songwriter, as a Christian trying to think, okay, if I want to write songs for the church, but my song is taking more than 15 minutes, is it any good? Um, <laughs> and I wasn't privy to the, the process. I would love to see like, listen, there could be kids in your church who could be really good songwriters in 10 years. Um, maybe they just need to see that someone right next to them is doing it. And that's what happened to me. I had uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, 10 years ago, I was at a home group meeting where he uh, to show someone else pulled some pieces of paper out of his guitar case and there were songs he'd written. And I was like, Oh, a, a human. I know not from Nashville who isn't Stephen Curtis Chapman <laughs> writes songs, I guess. Well, let me try. So um, that's why I think the transparency matters is you, I would love to have more people feel like, Oh my goodness, I could just never do that. Like there is a mystique yeah. around bread. There's a mystique around songwriting, but there are ways things work. And yes, your curiosity plays into how hard does one want to chase after it and become good. But um, or good as a relative term, I guess, but, um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's um, something where goodness, I'd love more people to do it because it can be a really great thing. Yes. Just makes it accessible. Yeah. So yes. Yes. was that for you when you got your start? Um, I think you mentioned like 10 years ago, um, having someone kind of mm-hmm. show, show you that it was possible. How long have you been doing this? I was, maybe I was 13 when, um, uh, that home group, like, Oh, songwriting. Well, let me give a shot at that. I, I asked um the host, Hey, do you have any spare paper? And he gave me some, and I wrote down what looked to me like a song. I wrote down four verses in a chorus and I showed it to (laughs) my friend and he was like, Oh, he was a music student at UNH actually. He's like, can I, can I hold on to this to me? And I was like, uh, sure. I didn't really think anything of it. And a couple of weeks went by and, uh, same house actually that he turned to me and was like, Hey, uh, Timmy, can I show you something? And he reaches into his guitar case and he pulls out the song I'd given him. And then he starts to play it. He'd put it to music. Mm. And I don't even think I'd asked him to do that or expected him to. But then when he sang it, my jaw hit the floor because it sounded like something and it pretty much sounded like it had had sounded in my head. Um, And then he like played it again for the hunger folks, which is like, 13 year old you're like oh my gosh i was just i i couldn't tell you exactly in that moment why i was i became so obsessed with songwriting but there was something about it that got its hook in me then and uh, little bits and pieces you know listening to a seminar or 10 years later going to a conference for some artsy folks um like hutchmoot the rabbit rooms thing sure. um, yeah little things that kind of helped to be like oh well i didn't know about that let me let me add that to what I'm trying to to do, but no, that's about whatever 12 years, I think is what that would be.
you know, you, you mentioned just the idea of you know pe- people and even in church trying to figure out like, can I <laughs> can I write songs? Can I get into music? And I think this this sort of integration of the church and music or Christianity and music has been a matter of a lot of debate over the years. And uh, I think that we've reached mm-hmm. a point where we have a lot of you know great role models and how to integrate faith and music, mm-hmm. um, including some of the folks you mentioned, like John Foreman and Andrew Peterson. But h- how do you, Bono, yeah, yeah, Bono, <laughs> how do you personally go about uh, integrating your your faith in your songwriting? Does it does it come yeah. kind of naturally? Like you know, I I feel this, I believe this about God, I'm going to sing about it. Or is it more complicated than that? Like, is it hard to determine what belongs explicitly in a song versus kind of implicitly in the background? I think, and you see this in Andrew Peterson's work, he has his Resurrection Letters series Mm -hmm. of albums, which are very explicitly built around the the Good Friday Easter narrative and meant for that. But then he's got another large, his older body of work and even some of his current stuff, um, much more just folky singer songwriter story stuff. And you mm-hmm. might not necessarily have to be a Christian to resonate with with that material, but he kind of has both and he can kind of toggle, I guess. Right. Um, and he'll play both kinds of music in the same set. But um, I, integrating faith with music, I've it matters a lot to me music in the context of the gathered church. What is a church singing together? The, the power that, that a song can have, because I carry it with me far longer than I do the last sentences of a sermon, as much as I love good sermons that um, it is worthwhile to sit down and think through what is it? Not even necessarily is the song good, but if we look at the, the, the reach of what we're singing, um, together as a church are we maybe missing some some swaths of themes mm-hmm. we might even see in the psalms like lament or sabbath or you look at the trinity do we you know what do we have for the father or the son and so um yes. and i'm i'm more much more likely there to to have that approach to that kind of music and say huh well i've i've been i've been involved with leading worship at my church for about about 10 years actually just about as long as i was writing songs and um every easter we're like why are we still singing the same songs about the resurrection we haven't gotten any new songs and then we just get amnesia and we forget about it until the following easter and uh and then we have the same predicament and and so i'm like well there's a gap let's write some let's find some new songs about the resurrection or hey if we have people in our church who can write songs let's give them a challenge and say hey easter is coming up in two months Let's each of us, what are you, the f- four or five of us, let's each write a song about the resurrection. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. use one or two of them for Easter. Maybe we'll share them in some other way. But it's an opportunity if you have people of that bent in your church. Hey, that can be great, um, even if it is easier to import what um, Bethel or Elevation or those guys are doing. Perfectly good stuff in its own right. But um, I think it is cool when a church can have its own people contributing to what um, the spiritual formation of the group. Sure. Um, on the, on, so, so that, that's much more of a one-to-one thing. It's, it, you, it's explicitly um, mm-hmm. faith-based, but I think for, and I, I, I was wondering about this stuff earlier on when I was writing songs, like, do I explicitly mention God in my songs? Do I not? And I, I've, I'm much more of the mind now that if my imagination, if I'm submitting my imagination to things that are true and beautiful, Malcolm Guy talks about this, a redeemed imagination is really good. And you really, if you're, if what you're seeing is truly beautiful 
and good. And you're going to communicate it that way. However it is, if you, mm-hmm. if, if that's what you're seeing and you can just, um, it takes practice to, to pay attention to what's actually in front of me. Like I'm looking at it, not that everything's a sunset, but like if I'm looking at a sunset, you could be really sentimental about it. Or I'm like, well, what, what does this actually look like in my mind? And let me just honestly take a stab at this and yes. noticing things that are, that are genuinely beautiful. I think that's, that is in the kingdom. And, um, in that can translate to honestly conveying cynicism or um, other sorts of frustration I might have in a song, knowing I know this isn't where I landed perhaps, and this isn't what I would suggest doing. However, I think Karen Swallow prior talks about this, that portrayal doesn't have to mean approval. Yes. And Thank it, it really matters to me to, to really be as, yeah, thankfully to, to just be as, as honest as I can, knowing that I do believe what's true and, it being human um, is, is that's part of the gospel's work is we're, we're, that is being restored in us. So even in the not yet part being like, no, this actually really hurts right now, even mm-hmm. if I um, land someplace else. So that part is much more about an imagination that's been shaped. And then I want to just speak as honestly as I can, and then just revise it as best I, according to the devices of a, what I think makes a makes the song a good song based on yes. how it's going to be used. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, I, I wanted to talk about like what you what you'd like music to be in your life in in terms of your you know your goals for it. And and I know that um, you know one of the things you talked about to me is this idea of hospitable songwriting. So mm-hmm. maybe you can talk a little bit about that, you know, what that means. Um, how do you know when you're doing that well? Uh, but also just, mm. just other, other thoughts you have on, on what you want music to be in your life. Um, do you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a, a platform, regular shows, engaged group of listeners, uh, recording regularly, or is it more of like a spiritual discipline um, that you just, mm-hmm. just kind of share with others from time to time as a way of praising God? deepening relationships. Um, so, so what are your, what are your hopes for, for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, maybe I'll take the last question and I'll work my way backwards and you might have to remind me if I miss something. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, with, um, the way I'd like to see music going, I, I, I have, I have journal entry songs just as much as I have songs that I, I, eventually I do turn around and think, no, I think I would like to gather some of these up and, and share this in a, in an intentional, well-done, curated way with uh, people perhaps that I know certainly personally and um, and certainly others, I think. It's been a real joy in the last year. 2020 was when I, I flipped the switch and realized, oh, I actually have some agency in the matter of what I do as far as even playing concerts. I can just Mm -hmm. ask friends, Hey, can I play in your living room? And can you just invite a bunch of your friends? (laughs) It can be 15, 20 folks. That's great. And that'll be, it it might take an hour. And then there we go. We just, we visited together and we, I got to sing music and and share the time. That was really neat. And the fact that it's happening in a home, part of hospitable songwriting, um, means that to me. It's, it is the, it is the songs themselves, but it's also the space in which it's happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, I even have a little letter board that I like to bring with me to concerts, like house concerts that it just says, come inside and take a breath. And, um, my mom said that, um, even when she saw that, when she was coming in for one of my shows, 
that she did feel that like something in her just relaxed, like, Oh, okay. Like, good. I, I can, yeah. I can be here. This is fine. And I, I do want to write songs that have a sense of safety in them. Even if what's being written about might be hard, I don't want to be someone who just bleeds on the audience as in like, mm, you need to go to counseling, dude. You probably shouldn't be on that stage. Um, uh, so I just knowing that if I'm in the audience, that I'm in good hands with the person that I'm, I'm following along with the song they're singing and that I, I want to go with them where they're going. And so, so, so when the artist has come inside and, and share this meal of music that I've worked hard to prepare for you, I'm really glad to share it with you. Um, it doesn't have to be, um, quote, self-promotion in a bad way. I, I really see it more as you're inviting friends into something that you've worked on and is a good thing or can be a good thing um, mm. if you've applied yourself. And um, so I am excited to do more of that in the forthcoming year. Um, I am encouraged by artists like Jess Ray, who I mentioned, or Josh Garrels is 25 years into his music career. So he's at a different spot, but even still, I think he came to a point where he realized, you know what? I really don't want to be on the road quite so much. I I would like Mm -hmm. to find a way of doing music that allows me to have roots and perhaps allows me to take care of the land around my house. And for him, they have a farm, so they're taking care of that. And and uh, at that point, he people were with him, like, we're with you, dude. Like, yes, go, share your music. We're eager to hear what you're going to say. But mm. he didn't have to have his body on the go geographically quite as much. So um, I have my uh, friend uh, Graham Jones, who's also a singer-songwriter song, in Dallas or Arlington, Texas. And uh, he was saying to me, just honestly, he's like, Tim, I, I think I've got maybe maybe I can do three years total of the year. Like, that's what I've got in me. Otherwise, I then I need to go back home and just recuperate and, and have do some some things day to day and he has other um work that he does for a church on staff so music isn't his main money making thing and i've i find a lot of relief in that because there can be a strange but fairly i guess normal culture within maybe the arts but especially here to music of like yeah i just did the hail mary and i just quit everything and i went to la or i went to nashville and i just i'm gonna make it or break it and you know if i starve then you know it's like the being a martyr for the cause of, of art yeah. and usually the people who are saying that have made it but goodness knows how many people didn't make it and had to move back to wherever they were um and, and try something different so yeah. thankfully that's not the only narrative that's needed to even be a legitimate artist like you you do not need it to be your full-time gig in order for your work to for the lord to be like yes you are operating in that the way that i've put it in you absolutely um, which was such a, a such a, a, a word of peace to me um but um so i think i don't know two to weeks two to three weeks a year to me sounds good maybe four tops i'll be releasing a record this uh coming i think september late september is the plan mm-hmm. um uh and i think be, i'll be saying more about that in the summer but i i just released a song in um by the time this releases, it'll have gone live this past friday called a pleasant place and um, you can find it everywhere but um nice so it'll, it still feels like an experiment, but, and, I, but I don't feel the pressure that it must all happen now. And I'm mm-hmm. quite happy with things amassing slowly. If that means that I perhaps have, I get to become friends with the people who find the work most meaningful, which might mean a smaller critical mass, mm-hmm. but you, I think someone said you only need like a thousand true fans who, even if you're just talking about money, like if they all spend a hundred dollars a year on you and that's a thousand fans, that's a 
that's a livable income for a year. And goodness knows if you'll ever get to a thousand for a guy like me, but that same notion of like, I prefer quality in one sense um, over a really, really large room. Um, There's, there's other ways for this thing to matter and and be genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anselm society recently had this, this series called the centric genius um, and it was in contrast to the eccentric genius. <laughs> and it was just this idea mm-hmm. that we, we have this, <laughs> this myth of the eccentric genius who like goes into their lab yeah. and does the, the amazing thing and leaves aside everything else. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, well, we, do, we do that yeah. for the gospel, but like we don't do that for our art. Like you don't leave behind every other <laughs> calling in your life no. to make a song. No. You, uh, you know, the yeah. song is, is a part of your yeah. life and there, there are other important things in your mm-hmm. life and yeah. we're supposed to be like whole people. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, please get some sleep, take a nap, you yeah. know, take care of what you're eating. Like you're, <laughs> you know, pay, have, get, get dinner at friends' houses and just live life and, you know, get, be known and, and know people like yeah. goodness. I could not write. I'd, I'd have nothing to write about if exactly. all I was doing was writing music. Cause then it's like, that's, <laughs> that's the stuff. And it's not as if life is just fodder for writing music, but it is a gift that that's just how it comes out. So, right. Yeah. Right. The more, the more you actually press into other things, the more uh, you can actually yeah. do, do well at, at yeah. writing music. Yeah. So, so maybe my last thought on this, I don't know if it is, but I think, um, because people ask like, well, so are you going to do it full time? And right now my next, my next step, I think is I'll probably just be getting looking for work, um, pertaining to the degree I just finished. Sure. Um, and goodness knows that the way most millennials work is, is uh, hardly are many of us working in the same thing for 20 years. So I, I am perfectly happy to just do the next thing right now. But I do want, I, I know that I songwriting isn't going away for me. And I'm not, I don't think I foresee myself stopping to stopping loving it or what I get to do through it or, or with it. Um, so it's more of a question mark right now, but I know I do want to keep doing it more. And I just want to do it smart and not, um, not make it a recipe for burnout. One of the things that we like to do on interview episodes is field some questions from other uh, team members, friends, listeners, that sort of thing. And so we have a question from my, my forefront colleague, Rich Chrisman, who asks, you seem to be a person who sees the value in work and creativity in most aspects of your life. And you know, I, I know you talked about music and woodworking but, but Rich asks, where else do you accept the creator's call in your life? Um, so maybe like what are some of the less obvious areas in your life that you like to employ creativity? Sure. I enjoy it in the way I, I, I recently, um, I had a brother get back from uh, Air Force training, but um, we just had to rearrange our room and I, I got to rearrange the books in my shelf. And I just loved the way that I got to just get another shelf and, arrange things in a way and it changed the feel of the room and we're that it's a pretty cool space to be so even just creativity and living space was kind of a fun thing just he, he was like oh great i feel like we we, we shared a, a bedroom beforehand um and now we do again and he's like great I, tim i feel like this is something we both have now and not just i'm not sleeping in your space this is something we share so even he feels like i think it, it was a hospitable thing for him um I, I do see creativity in the entrepreneurial side of, of music for those who choose like that, that, for those who, are, who say that's something they want to try. 
Um, and uh, whether it's in how do I um, how do I go about promoting the release of a single or an album or a crowdfunding campaign like the one I'm launching today, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in what do I what do I create visual content for this? Um, do I uh, at what rate do I do that? I have to to maybe think a little bit outside the box to figure out what's the intersection between what seems to work for the technology I'm using and also what's just true to who I am and and maybe the mediums of of art that I'm used to. So that takes a little bit of um, I, I think create creative spirit. Yeah. You've also done watercolor painting, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, that was something that a friend of mine um, that they did themselves, and I think I wanted to thank them by creating something of my own. So just by virtue of that, I got yeah. some supplies and and started to try my hand at it, and I really enjoy it um, as a form of creating that's outside my own head because music is pretty internal for the most part. But like right. bread and wood and pigment for stuff, they're all out there on the table. So I it can kind of be a more I would I don't like to call music therapeutic, but I would happily call like watercolor or woodworking, maybe a bit more along those lines. Yeah. The decoration of a space, even having people over and how do, who do I invite? How do I invite them? What's going to be the shape of an evening? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a creativeness in that, um, which I really um, am drawn to. So yes. I think that's something most of us can most likely do. I love that. Yeah. Rich and I have talked about how at forefront, like the events are our art form, that uh, certainly we might yeah. have various art forms that we practice in our life, but at forefront, like they, that, that is the art putting on a great event and it's super fun. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it has an importance yeah. all, all of its own. I was talking further with Rich and, and he was expressing how, from what we've seen, it seems like you, you put a lot of excellence and care into, you know, all of these things, whether it's music or, or, um, baking or, or visual art, et cetera. And I think it's, it's really beautiful. Um, just like you were talking about at the beginning, how we can be people who aren't simply one thing that it's not just Timothy Levin, mm-hmm. the singer songwriter, and that's kind of all he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather, we're right. we're people made in the image of God with all of these facets. We're collaborating with God in the restoration of all things. So, mm-hmm. just to press in a little further, um, Rich asked, "How do you cultivate the ability to put care into all these things? How do we become kind of more holistic creators, um, living the whole of our daily lives with the image of God at hand?" Yeah. That's a good question. Um, get a good night's sleep if you can. Um, I, I, That's you know, key. Some, there, there was a, a season in school where all the only time I had to write songs was late at night, and I'd be up until maybe 1 a.m., and then I'd have to just get up at 7.30 again for my 8 a.m. class. But um, my goodness, that, that really helps. Um, uh, environment, make your bed. Um, or... Uh, I, I found that I was surprised and my mom talks about like when services get cluttered, she starts to feel cluttered and more and more, I, I appreciate that myself. And so I like to, like, I go to sleep at night and I'll try, I try to at least clear off my desk and put things back in their places. So I wake up in the morning, there isn't some semblance of chaos in front of me. Like, okay, things are, things are well. Yes. And that immediately I think sets me in a 
I, I, I'm in a better place whenever I sit down to do any sort of work, whether it's uh, school or songwriting. I have a, I, finally now I have a, a dedicated uh, home studio down in, in uh, our basement, which is, it's a glorious soundproof room, <laughs> which we call the Banneton, which is another baking uh, reference, but yes. uh, having a space that's where the stuff doesn't move, I can just sit down, switch a couple of things on and go. The microphones yes. are plugged in. I know how things are routed. I don't have to constantly be like, right, that thing goes to, okay, I need to adjust the bass. What, what's the, so that um, gives more peace of mind to not have to uh, be as impeded for as long when it comes to sitting down to, to create. Mm-hmm. Um, eating well is good. Sometimes I'm trying to write a song and I'm like, why the heck are these lyrics so hard to get? Oh wait, it's one 30 in the afternoon and I just ate pizza for lunch. <laughs> and so um, maybe do something with my hands, but my one until my brain kicks back in at like four. Um, so all those are, are things I've found helpful for being more holistic. I'm in, you know, in my body and, mm-hmm. and such hiking is great. I love to hike. Uh, and and go for walks. Megan and I and, and our daughter Lucy were we've kind of become known in our neighborhood as the people who are like walking every <laughs> single day, like regardless of the weather. It's like good for you. There they are again, <laughs> now walking. You're like uh, the Cretaceous perambulators <laughs> in Rochester, pretty much. So <laughs> I, I think it's it's a good thing to be known for. But um, mm. so I, I want to go to to something that you shared at the Christmas variety show that you played mm-hmm. for us. Um, you, you told this, I think really powerful story of loss and grief um, that happened mm-hmm. in your life last year. And I know that yeah. it can be really difficult to, to relive those stories over and over again. So it's up yeah. to you, like how much of that story yeah. you want to reiterate. Um, but you played a song yeah. at the Christmas show called grace to rejoice that you wrote coming mm-hmm. out of that uh, hard experience and we have a question that came in from Peter Engler. He's the host of the Why God Why podcast. Hey, and uh, he, he hosted that Christmas variety show. And he asks, how did writing music help you in the grieving process? Yeah. Thanks, Pete, for asking. Um, um, yeah. So the, the story is that um, my, my dear, dear friend, friend at the time who would very shortly have become my girlfriend except that she was hit by a car um and and killed instantly um Mm -hmm. on my birthday uh august of 2020 and we'd known each other for about nine months and uh, my world stopped everything stopped existing past present future dissolved um Mm -hmm. and i couldn't do much of anything i certainly couldn't read or listen or to or write anything didn't feel a need to i just i couldn't um for quite a while song was the first thing that came back i think um with the exception of one or two things but it must have been uh it was less than a week after she had um her accident and um that i i started to um the fragments started to some of them started to touch back down on the tabletop and trying to um just take what I could and and kind of pull it together into one spot, not because Mm -hmm. I had to make sense of it, but just because I wanted to just gather it to myself a little bit. Um, Song was just a a gift in helping me to at least be, um, be where I was Mm -hmm. and um, and not just get lost in a, in a cloud of some sort. Um, And honesty was again, like I said, really important to me. Um, the Psalms of lament became really dear. Um, 
the uh, people who've already walked through a lot of life and you have prayed or written things like that um, have just been company for the road. People who don't, who aren't giving the systematic theology of grief or loss um, or, or any of that, um, but who are just there. And perhaps mm-hmm. I just, I know that they know. Um, finding company even in um, books like A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Auken or A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. Um, yes. Suddenly realizing that I, un- I understood in a way I wish I never had to. Um, but I, I, I was in good company with a lot of people who had, um, they had suffered a lot in their own way. So, um, I didn't, I wasn't interested in writing song like, Oh, like Stephen Curtis Chapman made, um, his record beauty will rise after the loss of um, one of um, his family's daughters. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I haven't looked into what the process of that was like for him, but I never was like, Oh, okay this will be fodder for my next album because it's like, I, yeah. Some you realize that if you write a song about something that's really deep and you plan to share it, you're going to have to tell that story, at least in some mm-hmm. form or fashion, probably for as long as you're going to play it. And so just, you can do that. Just realize that's what you're choosing. And um, grace to rejoice the song that Pete's referring to that I played at the forefront. Why God, why concerts in December? Um. I, it was in November, 2020 and my church, I, I didn't realize traditionally that Advent, the first three weeks of Advent have um, a couple of different focuses like hope and, and peace and love or joy, yes. I think it's joy. And, um, and the last one is love. Um, but our church had a devotional series. It was, it was releasing at the time, just sometimes it was the church leaders, but other times it was congregants and they would reach out to whoever's curating it and say, Hey, I have this reflection with this work as a devotional. And um, so you could, you could share your thoughts that way. And and they, I was told like, Hey, if you have a song you want to share by all means, please send it to us. So I did. Oh, um, I wasn't and I'm still in this space, but thinking, Oh goodness, I want to write something for our church about Advent, but this is where I am. Mm -hmm. So, and I want to be honest, but I also want to be, I don't want it to just be about Tim. If I can find some way of voicing this in a way that would widen it to other people, even as it's being specific. And um, the story of Herod's slaughter of the innocents in, um, in the gospels was a place where um, I realized, Oh, there's already, there is grief, intense grief built into the Advent narrative. And even as these things that will be the, the start the undoing of all of this terrible um work um so trying to think about the imagery of that song um all the while being where i was gave birth Mm -hmm. to to grace to rejoice um and then my church got back to me and they're like actually yes we'll use it as a devotional but we also want to make it part of one of our services can we add it and we'll use it here and you can share the backstory we'll um we'll kind of prep people so that they know to just listen quietly um and so that was probably the first instance where I, I, because we're still in, in COVID season, I hadn't seen a lot of the people in my church. Um, um, so we had only recently started getting back together. And so that was the first time I really shared anything with a wide group of people about what the last six months had held for me mm-hmm. um, and, and could do so. Um, um with a a degree of, I don't know what the word is. Kindness isn't the right word for it. 
but I could do it knowing that um, I can care for more people than just myself now. Like I, I'm, I'm yes. okay to, to share this and I know I'm, I'm sharing it from a steady place, at least to, from here, not resolved, still a lot to, to journey through. But um, it was, I, I didn't, I'm surprised they asked. It was an honor to share. Um, but beginning to share stories and, and hear um, encouragement from other folks to say, hey, Tim, I, I, as I heard you play the song, I had to step out because um, it was really affecting me in a really good way. So thank you for writing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an encouragement to just continue to, to be um, and to see and to, um, and to um, know that it's okay to acknowledge light where there is light, even when seems like the pain and the darkness is the most true thing about the world when i I know in my heart of hearts that's still not that's not actually the reality yeah just finding the ways to be with each other in those struggles even though they're always different like nobody's ever going through the exact same thing that you are Um, and yet everybody has something, right? Like in every person's life, there's some, some trial, some suffering, some hardship. And like, I love that you found a way to, um, just express like what you were going through in in a way that, that resonated with others, you know, in their particular suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It was an honor. So I think a lot of the things, a lot of the things that you've said, today um could could be you know great advice for a a younger musician who might be starting out um, whether it's about just uh Mm -hmm. you know freedom and the songwriting process or or being a a holistic creator and doing lots of things and not feeling pigeonholed into being a famous musician and that sort of thing but just to make it maybe a little more specific we got a audience question from millie kirk and Yes. And Millie asks if a younger musician or lyricist sought your counsel, maybe that's about, you know, being a faithful or effective musician, what words of advice and encouragement would you have for them? That's a good question. I would probably ask them about what they're reading. I would just say read good books, like Mm. in, in not just like nonfiction books about songwriting, read, you know, read really good fiction if that's your thing, or um, just read stuff that fills your imagination um, cause goodness knows, um, that's just a great thing by itself, but you're going to have so much to go on, um, to pull from. I'm amazed by how much as I've read Wendell Berry, I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Like <laughs> Andrew Peterson used that exact line in a song of his, or it, you know, it, it just goes on. We're like, wait, Tennyson, I've heard that before somewhere else. And, yes. um, so yeah, read, um, I think that was my encouragement to someone else kind of recently. So maybe that's one thing I would say. That's great. So, you know, on the, on the streaming platforms today, you mentioned you have your Shalom EP. Um, you have a couple singles, Mm -hmm. you've got a song, a new song coming out soon here. Um, I know. Yeah, it's actually, by the time this airs, I think it'll be out on. Yes. A new song that just came out. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so what else is coming up for your music? What's next for your music in 2022? What are you excited about? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm glad you asked, Nate. Today, I am beginning a Kickstarter campaign uh, running until the 20th of this month, which is February, um, for the to, uh, for the record that I'm going to be releasing in uh, end of September, start of October, um, which is a lot of it 
taking it's borrowing from the language of um, the story of of Israel of being in the land of promise and exile and longing for home and finding beauty in a in a place where perhaps things aren't as we expected or the way we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in parts of my own story in the last two years that sort of parallel that that arc of of glad true good expectation of oh this is what i'd the kind of place i'd like to to have or to belong to and then realize oh wait this is this is not going the way that i'd i'd projected it um and then frustration or maybe resignation but then also looking up and saying oh well maybe there are good things here and starting to perhaps be willing to admit it's there or so into them but um i i uh to to make the music all the songs are written good to go one's already recorded and out out into the world um but uh, i don't i can't play drums and or things like live strings uh. and uh cd manufacturing costs money and so and other yes. stuff too so um i'm excited to um to be re- running this campaign and um thank you so much for the, letting me mention that but um i it's yeah. it's been fun giving um i'm i'd love to have other folks along on the adventure of of making this project since it's already been one where i've heard a lot of stories about the songs that are on the project and i'm excited to be able to have a, a body of work alongside the shalomi p to kind of for those who maybe i know or maybe don't quite do the lullaby sacred music hymn sort of stuff mm-hmm. you know if they're maybe maybe they're not from a, a particular faith background but they do enjoy the folky singer songwriter stuff. I can be like this, I have this stuff too, which is very much a part of any live set you'd expect, which will at least on the, at the um, beginning, this will be like, now you kind of have both sides of Timothy Levin in front of you by the end of the year. So yes. it's been a journey of making a Kickstarter. If you're familiar with the platform, it's all or nothing, but you also have like tiers that you can back it at $50 and you get a signed CD and a sticker and you back it at a hundred and you get the CD and my next child and you know, a thousand dollars and whatever. So um, it's been fun to be like, okay, well let me make uh, some really cool mahogany coasters or some hand lettered signs with lyrics from the album to make as rewards. So that's all, that was my project for the last three months to kind of get everything in place. But from there, it's going to be a fun, like it's a fun launch now to see how this thing um, turns out. So um, once February has come and gone, I'll, I'll switch into record production mode and I'll probably be there for maybe a month and then we'll switch into, to getting ready for the summer and releasing singles and deciding if uh, any, if there's going to be any house shows, whether that happens in the fall or next spring or, or something else. Right. Fantastic. If any listeners have further questions for you or they want to learn about your work or Mm -hmm. support your Kickstarter, which just launched, Mm. what would be the best way for them to do that? Kickstartleven.com, L-E-A-V-E-N, Kickstartleven. Um, That will take you to the Kickstarter page. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can, there's a, you can find out about the backstory of the project and such there. Um, I'm on Instagram, timothyleven.com also exists. So you can find me there. Um, And if you want to drop me a line, you can probably send me a direct message on Instagram. All those ways work. Beautiful. Well, Tim, uh, thanks so much for being a guest on Forefront 360. This has been just uh, wonderful to talk to you. Nay, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. So listeners, be sure to head over to kickstartleven.com. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can join Timothy Levin's Kickstarter. You can also uh, look his music up on Spotify or Apple Music, listen to that, 
Uh, learn more at timothylevin.com. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe to Forefront 360 on your favorite podcast app and let us know what you thought of this episode over on Instagram at Forefront Fest. Until next time, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art. Come inside, take a breath, hang your coat upon the rack. Fires warm, the table set for you. Lay aside your stuff and pie, give your soul and hope that he is here who welcomes me and you. And if you'd like it all, there's more that he can do. Father built a house of flesh, but unlike Tom and Becky's, he wrote his word behind my cold rib cage. So when friends or strangers step across its humble pulse in entry, the shoulders shed their loads as they say. Isn't this a pleasant place? Oh, isn't this a pleasant place?